0: put the spring back into your step and into your home too. shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45% up to 45% off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply
3: an hour ago on tech talk we brought up starlink elon musk's space-based internet system that uh, people can sign up for now they continue to launch satellites and that's one of the big stories We're going to discuss with Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com. And uh, Stephen, good to visit with you as always.
1: Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, very good. Uh, Stephen, uh, SpaceX and Elon Musk has been busy this week with more launches for the Starlink uh, satellite constellation
1: indeed two more launches this week one from florida one from california uh carrying a total of 90 starlink satellites uh so these are becoming more and more uh routine almost on a weekly basis this year uh these launches especially for the starlink network as uh each of these launches builds out the capacity and the, and the geographic reach of the network uh into more and more countries i think uh SpaceX this week said there are 29 uh, countries that now have access to the Starlink Internet Network, and they're adding more at every turn every, every week just about. More countries are, are getting access to this network, and uh, I think their subscriber count now is over 150,000.
3: And they continue to build it, but remember, they're building this network for a couple of reasons. The, the biggest is to generate the cash to ultimately get human beings to Mars.
1: Exactly, and uh, so spaceX is is uh, building this network as a uh, as a source of revenue, uh, and this revenue stream will then be turned uh, around and uh, reinvested internally into the starship program, which we've talked about before. this giant rocket SpaceX is uh, uh, building and developing down in Texas to uh, carry heavier cargo into orbit than any rocket before. It's the largest rocket ever built anywhere in the world in the history of the space age, and, uh, and that does require quite a bit of money, billions of dollars, and they hope to get that money uh, primarily through the revenue they earn from uh, Starlink subscriptions.
3: Yeah, so, so it's definitely a big deal that this network. Now, there were uh, some problems with some of these satellites because they are in lower earth orbit, and it had to do with the solar storm and they've made some changes based on what I read at the website SpaceFlightNow.com. Uh, they're putting some of these satellites in slightly higher orbits. How will that help? How will that help these satellites avoid problems in the future?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. There was a launch a few weeks ago, uh, at the beginning of February, that uh, deployed some satellites, uh, 49 satellites into orbit for the Starlink program. And there was a similar launch as all the ones before, however, they happened to launch uh, when there was a a geomagnetic storm. uh, So a solar flare erupted from the sun, sent out a burst of energy uh, toward Earth. And when it reaches Earth, that causes the atmosphere to sort of swell up and warm up. And it creates more drag or friction at the altitude that these satellites are flying at in space in low Earth orbit a couple hundred miles above the Earth. And uh because they deployed in the middle of this uh, solar storm with a thicker atmosphere at that altitude, uh, they actually uh, re-entered the atmosphere uh, most of them re-entered the atmosphere uh, before they could sort of turn on their engines and do their own checkout and begin climbing above uh, that thicker uh, drag that atmospheric drag that was bringing them down. so they couldn't overcome that and uh, so this these last two missions. Uh, SpaceX has slightly changed the profile of the launches. They're launching to higher altitudes to avoid any recurrence of that problem. Uh, the rocket, the Falcon 9 rocket that launches these
3: satellites will actually drop
1: them off above the effects of any drag that would be caused by a, a geomagnetic storm.
3: Uh, so they continue to learn. I know they, they've added uh, lasers so they can communicate or send data between satellites. That's an upgrade and we would expect this network of satellites to continue to evolve but this network isn't without its critics
1: yeah yeah that's that's true from a couple of different angles uh, uh some some criticize the uh, the network for sort of launching so many satellites into orbit at uh, at once there there's some concern from uh, some quarters that the uh, number of satellites in orbit are are too difficult to track basically and create a a sort of a traffic hazard. Imagine, uh, you know, planes flying without air traffic control, you know, and and the potential consequences and disastrous consequences of that. So there's a concern that having so many satellites in orbit will inevitably lead to crashes, which creates more space junk. And there's a, 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 a term called the Kessler syndrome, where if that the space debris problem reaches a certain point with so much debris generated from collisions that it will be irreversible. Um, however, SpaceX counters that uh, criticism by saying that they launch these satellites into uh, very low orbits, like we saw a few months ago, a few weeks ago. We mentioned the the drag bringing the satellites down. So if the satellites do fail after they launch, the Earth's atmosphere will naturally cause them to reenter within uh, days or weeks in most cases. Um, so they wouldn't be a long-term debris hazard in orbit. The other uh, concern uh, that uh, some have uh, laid on SpaceX is uh, with the reflectivity of the satellites in orbit. So uh, these satellites reflect sunlight down to Earth, and if uh, some of your listeners may have seen, or you may have seen, some of the starling sunlight's going overhead at dawn or dusk, and the satellites uh, turn out to be a little bit more reflective than SpaceX originally uh, expected uh, when they started launching these satellites a couple of years ago. And uh, so, but so that caused some concern from astronomers, worried that they were going to interfere with uh, some telescope observations, particularly observations that search for asteroids that could be on an impact course with Earth. And uh, uh, SpaceX uh, did take that criticism, and they have uh, redesigned some of their satellites to be less reflective. They put a dark coating on their satellites. They added a visor to sort of make the satellites less reflective to try to mitigate those effects.
3: Yeah, and beyond that, SpaceX probably won't be the only game in town. There are other companies and other countries that have designs on launching similar networks. This idea is is not new, so we're we're, we're probably in the mode of this is just the beginning.
1: You're, you're exactly right. So SpaceX has launched more than two thousand satellites right now. They're uh, uh, planning. Uh, they have you know, detailed plans to go up to 4,400 satellites and then if, uh, you know, if everything goes the way they want and the market materializes, they have longer term ambitions to launch as many as 42,000 satellites. So just imagine uh, that. Uh, There I think there are other, uh, the entire world's active satellites beyond SpaceX is 2,000. So SpaceX already operates half of the satellites that are operational in orbit, roughly. However, other countries like China and Russia have ambitions to uh, build out similar broadband networks to uh, have their own domestic uh, capabilities for internet service and uh, high speed communications through space. And uh, so, and those satellites uh, may not be built to the same specification or regulation, uh, you know, in terms of space debris safety and also reflectivity as the SpaceX satellites. So uh, you know, longer term, there's there's some uh, interest uh, internationally among um, uh, international bodies of perhaps codifying some requirements for these satellites that launch from other countries to make sure that they meet the same specifications that uh, that SpaceX is trying to meet with their satellites. So SpaceX has launched these satellites. You, like you mentioned, they're still learning uh, you know how to how to deploy and operate so many satellites. So they're sort of the guinea pig here, um, and I think they're trying to do their best, but it is a learning process and they're changing things as they go. But, uh, you know, other countries, other companies may not be so uh, willing to change their designs and change their operations, uh, you know, based on criticism.
3: There is tension in the world, Russia invaded Ukraine, and uh, there was a lot of talk on what the ripple effects could be, whether it's oil, whether it's uh, uh, stability in Europe, uh, you name it, the impacts of, of that invasion uh could be felt for a very very long time one thing we do know is that russia and the united states and other countries are partners in the international space station and there is concern about how operations of of that platform will continue going forward
1: yeah that's a question that's been raised often and continuously over the last few days um, and NASA and, and Roscosmos, which is the Russian space agency, have said that there's no immediate near-term impact on the space station operations from this, uh, you know, from the Russian invasion, uh, into Ukraine. Uh, however, the longer-term picture is a little more murky. Um, so NASA and Russia recently expressed express interest in extending the space station program, uh, out to 2030. And um I'm not sure if that's such a done deal anymore uh given the the, the uh, tensions between Russia and the Western countries at the moment and uh also there's a pl- there were plans to launch a Russian cosmonaut on a spaceX uh, capsule uh, later this year. I'm not sure if that's going to go forward or not there's been no official announcement um so I, I think the perhaps the best uh, we could hope for from the space station's perspective is maybe continuing with the status quo, but I don't think there's much of an appetite for and, you know, an extension of the space station now uh, of its lifetime, or any new uh, partnerships like the flying uh, uh, Russians on U.S. spacecraft. Um, so we'll see how things go. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very it's a very evolving situation, and uh, we just heard today actually that one of the Russian space program's cooperative projects with uh, the European Space Agency is going to be suspended. Uh, they launch Russian rockets from uh, French Guiana, down in South America, which is a French uh, department, uh, which is a NATO country, and uh, Russia. And uh, Russia announced today. Russia's space agency announced today that that uh, operation of launching Russian rockets from uh, French territory will be suspended. So that's uh, one early casualty uh, in terms of uh, the uh, you know the, the global space program from this uh, crisis.
3: Yeah, and one thing we we do know, and, and I can't remember the exact timeline, but it's relatively recently, the Russians did a test, and they they created a lot of space debris. And ironically, that space debris put the International Space Station in some jeopardy, and they had to change orbit, et cetera. So the the fact that uh, Russia and China has robust capabilities in space is really another frontier of conflict that, well, has been threatened for a long, long time, but is worth watching in all of this.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did that anti-satellite missile test last, late last year, and uh, that basically doubled the threat to the space station from space debris, uh, and it wasn't just at the time that that threat is going to continue for, for months and years. So it's a, it's a continuing uh, risk that that russia introduced to the space station program and their own cosmonauts who live on the space station so you know that didn't make a a lot of sense uh, from my perspective of why they would do that and uh you know going forward space as a new battleground a new conflict zone is certainly a reality uh, just like cyber warfare is and uh, you know it's one of the reasons why um, the u.s space force was created a couple of years ago and uh U.S. Space Force has been expanding. It was created under the Trump administration. It's continuing and expanding under the Biden administration because I think there's a consensus that, uh, you know, space warfare, uh, you know, is is a reality going forward.
3: Uh, quick break. Uh, we have more coming up with Stephen Clark from SpaceFlightNow.com. When we do come back, uh, we'll circle back around to SpaceX, get an update on Starship. Uh Elon Musk did a big presentation, a big media event down in Texas. We'll we'll find out if there's any news on that front, if they will get to go ahead to do a launch. And then of course, uh continuing discussions that actually Starship ship will will probably uh be a big far, part of what happens on uh at Cape Canaveral and Kennedy Space Center in Florida. We'll get his thoughts on that. And then oh by the way, the big SLS program, that big rocket. Uh, being built by NASA, that has been delayed uh, further into the spring. We'll get Stephen's update on that in a moment here on News Talk, E-3-O-W-C-C-O. Stephen Clark joins us, spaceflightnow.com. I I subscribe, a regular reader, and uh, he's good enough to join us from time to time here on News Talk, E-3-O-W-C-C-O. Let's get an update on NASA's big SLS program uh Artemis ultimately will put people back on the moon if everything goes according to plan. Um where do we stand right now? I know it just seems like continuous delays over the history of this program. Will we see this first uncrewed launch this spring?
1: I think there's uh, still a chance although uh you know don't, don't uh, pack your bags or book your ticket uh, okay. if it comes to the launch quite yet. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, this launch has been delayed uh, more than four years now. Um, it, it, the program started back in 2011, targeted a launch in 2017, and here we are uh, in early 2022. The rocket is now built. Uh, the design is complete. It is fully stacked inside the Vehicle Assembly Building uh, here at Kennedy Space Center but it is not quite ready for launch. Uh, There's a major test coming up uh, later next month in March. Uh, They'll they'll actually roll the rocket out. That's actually scheduled right now for March 17th. There's some degree of confidence that it actually will be rolling out around that time for this test. However, the test is a critical one. They'll be loading fuel into the rocket for the first time uh, at the launch pad, making sure there are no uh, leaks in the launch vehicle, leaks in the ground system. They'll be running through a practice countdown to make sure all the software is, uh, fully configured and ready, ready for, ready to go for the launch. So there's a lot that can go wrong in that test. So, I, I, until that test is, uh, done, uh, I wouldn't, uh, you know, place any bets on when it'll actually launch. Um, right now, the liftoff of the space launch system is scheduled no earlier than sometime in May. And I think last time we talked, they were targeting April. Now we're talking a month later, May. So schedule does continue to stretch out. Um, But, you know, it will be a a major milestone to roll the rocket out and go through this test. But, um, you know, it's uh, anyone's anyone's bet really how the test goes. And then uh, after that, they'll be ready to set a launch date.
3: Yeah. Uh, it, it is amazing, a very expensive project, and this will just be the first launch unmanned, and 100% of the hardware is disposable. Uh, a friendly reminder on that. Uh, Steven, I, I want to get your update on Starship because Elon Musk a little while back did that big media event down in Texas with a fully stacked Starship with the super heavy first stage, and then the Starship uh, mounted on top it was really quite a visual and we're still waiting for federal government approval for them to move forward with a orbital launch of that system but elon musk continues to insist that uh they are moving forward with plans for this system and and rapidly moving forward with plans to uh ramp up operations potentially a starship down in florida
1: Right, right. So the the Starship program is a fully reusable rocket, in contrast to the Space Launch System, a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful as well, uh, and designed also to uh, land on other planetary surfaces like the moon. So it's a much more versatile uh, system than NASA's Space Launch System rocket. Um, you know, but it's also still in its development phase. It still needs to go through a test flight, much like the Space Launch System does. And right now, um, you know, Elon Musk gave this update down in South Texas where they're building Starship boosters and Starship uh, spacecraft uh, at a relatively quick rate and uh, going through testing of, of them on the ground, building up to this big orbital flight test. They'll try to launch this 400-foot-tall to- rocket uh, off of its brand-new launch pad on the Gulf Coast of Texas and try to put... A 150 foot tall spacecraft into orbit, which will be a, a, a very impressive feat, uh, if and when they pull it off. And, uh, so that launch right now is still TBD to be determined on when that's going to happen as well. And one of the big uh, hangups right now is waiting for approval from the Federal Aviation Administration, which, uh, is reviewing the environmental impact of the Starship program uh, down in Texas. This has been an ongoing review for the last, uh, nearly nine months to a year now. I think it started last summer, uh, early last summer, so almost a year since this review began. And, of course, uh, bureaucratic inertia moves slowly. Uh, you know, I, I don't describe any ill intent to it. It's just the government works a lot slower than private in- industry, and that's always <laughs> seems to be the case. And uh, SpaceX is chopping up the bit to get that approval and get this mission launched.
3: Yeah, and then beyond that, I think Elon Musk says, hey, if we don't get the approvals or – we don't get the operating permits we need to have. Um, we we are moving forward, and they are moving forward as we speak, with, with a Starship base at Kennedy Space Center, as I understand it.
1: Exactly right, and they do have environmental approval already from the FAA for a launch site for Starship in Florida at Kennedy Space Center. So that already is in the bag, uh, so they have the option to to. Move uh, their launch base down to uh, Florida from Texas if necessary. You know, Elon Musk said that would uh, create a six to eight eight month delay in the Starship program. I'm, I'm willing to bet now it probably would be over a year uh, delay in, in in reality because the they're just now driving the pilings of the launch pad uh, for Starship down in Florida and they have a lot to uh, to build out uh, to get the get the facility ready for such a giant rocket. So uh, that would be a, a rather lengthy lengthy delay if, uh, you know, if if SpaceX decides to do that, but they do have that option in their pocket. And, uh, you know, Florida Kennedy Space Center is used to launching rockets. It has a a safety, a buffer zone all around the launch pad, so there's no risk to population. You know, the populated areas down in uh, Kennedy Space Center are much farther away than they are in Texas, so that also might, uh, you know, apparently that played into the FAA's reasoning for going ahead and approving a Starship launch already from florida versus still reviewing it from texas
3: all right well Stephen, always great to visit with you once again i appreciate your work on the website spaceflightnow.com take care
1: thank you so much for having me
3: all right there he is stephen clark joining us again here on news talk A 830 O. We'll have the weather uh we'll shift gears we'll talk sports the loon season opener in philly uh They get a draw out of it. We'll get Andy's thoughts on that. Steve Carney will take us outdoors. Jess Myers uh, will get us up to date on a red-hot Golden Goal for men's hockey program. They go for the sweep of the Badgers tonight and much, much more. Sports Saturday starts following the weather here on News Talk. E3-O-W-C-C-O. It is still February, and Major League Soccer is underway, Minnesota on the road at philadelphia today and they battle to a 1-1 draw andy greeter covers the loons year round for the pioneer press online at TwinCities.com. and andy here we are a season opener an early start
2: yeah you know it's the earliest start that mls has ever had and that to try to accommodate the world cup uh, that's going to be in qatar uh in november and december so they're starting earlier so they can end earlier and be done in order for the World Cup here this fall
3: yeah and Andy uh, soccer is one of those games where they kind of all abide by that international calendar it's really extraordinary how these windows open and close and uh, they they work together to to move players around because they do have uh, duties with their home country etc
2: yeah for sure you know two of Minnesota United's uh, new players: Kervin Ariaga. Uh, he's a midfielder on the Honduran national team, uh, and uh, you know Luis Amaria. He's a striker on the Paraguayan national team. Uh, so you know they Minnesota United puts in requests through MLS to not play during international windows windows and have more midweek games here this season because they have such a international roster. Their uh, goal scorer today, Robin Lud, He's from Finland. He plays on Finland's national team. Uh, so this is a you know very eclectic game. It's the world's game, and that's reflective on, on Minnesota United's roster.
3: So Minnesota United uh, got off to a very slow start a year ago. Um, they want to avoid this, and by going on the road and getting the one-one draw with, with Philly, uh, goes without saying that is a better start.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know they they were zero four last year to start the season. And uh, you know they were the first team in a standard MLS season to to dig out of that hole and to make the playoffs. But all that scratching and fighting and, and grit that they had to show over those remaining 30 games kind of came back to bite them a little bit in the playoff game, and they didn't have a lot left in the tank uh, for that playoff game. So starting today with a with a one-one draw at Philadelphia is an improvement on its face value for sure. Uh, but it's even a better result just given the, the quality that the Philadelphia Union have. This is a, a team that is perennially one of the best in the Eastern Conference, a team that obviously plays well at home, had a, you know, electric large crowd, uh, in Chester, PA today. And to be able to score first and be able to, to, uh, hold on to a, to a 1-1 draw despite, you know, Philadelphia having 11 corners to Minnesota's two and kind of having to ride their luck a little bit at times. It's a high-quality, high-value point uh, for the balloons to get to start the year.
3: Yeah, v- very good point indeed. And now uh, they come home. I would assume they're going to train indoors as much as they can uh, ahead of their uh, home opener at Allianz Field on the 5th. The good news is we're getting more mild temps. We're going to see more days in the 30s. The sun angle is higher but uh, still a lot of work to get Aliens ready for this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, all those groundkeepers uh, just got done doing it for the U.S. men's right. national team at the beginning of February. And you know, I think the temperature for that game on February 2nd was like three degrees and around right. zero uh, by the end of that game. And looks like the forecast is going to be a lot better for next Saturday's game. It looks like the early 10-day forecast is maybe a temperature around 25 and feels like temperature around 13 because there's going to be a bit of a win that, you know, might be able to be negated by the, the walls of the stadium. But yeah, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be the early, like the season, it's going to be the earliest home kickoff uh, for Minnesota United, which in all five of their years, they've started out on the road just given the, the weather in Minnesota. Um, so yeah, you know, I'd imagine that the, the prep to get the, the snow off the field again uh, for the second time in, in, in a month's time uh, is probably going to be getting underway here this week and you know they're going to probably train in the bubble that they have at the National Sports Center in Blaine but I wouldn't be surprised if if they try to get out there for at least one training session just to kind of acclimate just to kind of nip any sort of you know feelings of of what it's like to play in the cold because you know we talk about an international roster I think there's you know there's one Minnesotan on this team one native Minnesotan on this team and a lot of guys are from South America or, or other places around the world, South Africa, Finland, you name it. Uh, so they're not used to playing in, in weather like this. Uh, so we'll see what the, what the conditions are going to be like, but you know, Minnesota has played in cold weather games in the past. Two of the five coldest in MLS history uh, had the loon's name next to it. So, uh, you know, it, it, it got off with mostly without a hitch at the U S men's national team game and we're hoping
3: for similar results this time. And a tip of the cap to the uh, hearty supporters that showed up because um, I'm sorry, no way, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not, uh, I'm not going outside to watch anything in that kind of weather. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it will be uh, quite a bit warmer, and I know the club didn't want to spend the first month. Of the season on the road, there's there's that balancing act, Andy, and I'm yeah. wondering if anybody with the, with the club said that. But but in particular, you know, you go on the road and you get off to another slow start, it really puts you behind. So being able to to be at home and, and take advantage of, of your home field is so important. Yeah, especially coming off of last year, you <laughs> know, there's no way yeah, that they for would
2: sure. sign up for four straight road games to start the year. You know, Nashville uh, is going to be the opponent next Saturday, and They were one of the best teams out of the East last year and due to the uh, addition of Charlotte, Nashville's moving to the Western Conference and going to make the West that much tougher. Uh, So it's going to be a difficult opponent uh, to have to face in in your first home game. But, you know, they're probably going to be even less familiar with the weather and and what it's going to be like uh, for that game. You know, this Minnesota United team is interesting in the fact that, you know, they made the playoffs the last three years on the trot and there's only seven teams in MLS that can say that. Now, last year they bowed out in the first round of the playoffs after making the Western Conference final in 2020 and it'll be interesting to see, you know, where their expectations are, where their aim is. You know, they're after the end of 2020 they talked about, "Hey, let's go further, let's go and compete for MLS Cup, let's try to win a trophy." And this year they they're not saying that outwardly. You know, they're saying hey, we need to get a home playoff game. That means finishing the top four, and that means winning home games. And that's going to have to start uh, on Saturday at 5 o'clock, which, as we talk about the weather, I think it's a curious time for a game. You know, they should be playing that game at 1 o'clock when the sun is as high as it possibly can be in the sky. And and it's as as warm as it's going to be during the day. Starting the game at 5 is going to invite polar temperatures and and sunset when it's really going to drop off. So I'm curious about the timing, but – you know, it is what it is, and, and the game's going to happen, and, and uh, I'll be there to watch it.
3: Andy Gritter joining us from the Pioneer Press, online at TwinCities.com. Minnesota gets the 1-1 draw at Philly. They return home to Allianz Field next weekend. Uh, your, your other beat, Minnesota Golden Gopher, Football and basketball, and right now the end of the season in sight. Uh, They get Indiana at the barn late tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Television dictating that, I would assume, the 5 o'clock start at Williams Arena against Indiana. Uh, Close close game against Wisconsin at the barn on Wednesday night. They fall by one, and the Gophers had a really good chance to beat a ranked opponent. They just didn't shoot the ball well enough in the second half, Andy.
2: Yeah, you know, this is the second time this season that they uh, had Wisconsin tied with two minutes left and weren't able to close it out. You know, it wasn't just shooting. It was some defensive lapses. It was some rebounding issues. It was the difference between the Badgers closing out a game and, and being, you know, right in the hunt for the Big Ten title and the Gophers not being able to close out and finding themselves near the Big Ten basement in Ben Johnson's, you know, first year as he tries to to rebuild this program, I think it shows that you know the margin isn't that far off. That they, if they get a, a few more pieces in place, a few more, uh, a little bit more size, a little bit more uh, experience, a little bit more depth, um, I think that they can close that gap in in year two. It'll be interesting because tomorrow is senior day, and they've got seven seniors. So this roster that we had to learn on the fly here at the beginning of the year is mostly going to be remade going into next year. So they're going to, you know, they've got four high school players that are coming in three from the state of Minnesota, a couple of them with some pretty good length and size, and they're going to have to supplement that with the transfer portal. And they, uh, you know, while they don't have, you know, a lot of bona fide starting big 10 players on this roster, uh, they were able to hit on all the guys that, kind of did it the right way with, you know, energy and effort and, and good character guys. And Ben Johnson talked about it yesterday that, you know, he felt like they kind of batted a thousand when it came to all the transfers, because he's been doing it for 20 years as an assistant. And it's not always uh that way that you always hit on the guys that are good team guys and play the right way and play smart and disciplined and are about the right things. So they're going to need to hit on a few more guys in the transfer portal and and they're going to be looking to try to have the same type of success, not only with the character and qualities, but as well as the the talent on the court.
3: Braden Carrington, one of those players coming in from Park Center to join Ben Johnson's team next year. This kid's going to have an impact in his freshman year in the Big Ten. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I've had a chance to see him play throughout his high school career. I live up in the northern suburbs. This guy's a real deal, and he's going to have an impact.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think they're really high on him. I think he was kind of instrumental in, in bringing in the, the other two guys from Minnesota, Joshua Ola-Joseph and Pharrell Payne, uh, previously from Asia for Josh and Pharrell's at, at Park of Cottage Grove. And Ben Joplin talked about Braden kind of being a leader in rallying guys and recruiting to the best of his ability to kind of uh, bring that class together. Um, so I think that's, that's important. I think that's a quality that you want to see uh, out of a guard, out of a guy that's going to have the ball in his hand yeah. on the court, be a leader, be a guy that people rallied to. So yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of promise in, in the four guys that they have coming in. Um, but yeah, like like we talked about, you know, they've they've been able to to be in games because they're veterans and they're guys that aren't shy of of the college basketball game. And while they had to step up for mid majors, they been around the block and have played against high major teams. It'd be interesting to see what the learning curve is for, you know, mostly a, a high school recruiting class at this point. How much are they able to kind of acclimate to the big 10 level and, and make that jump in year one will be part of the storyline going into next year.
3: Yeah. But uh, there's, there's- Definitely been a lot of good early in the season, uh, some nice wins, some good performance, and then then some tough ones. Ohio State and Penn State come to mind back-to-back on the road, Uh, but they finish it out uh, once again, uh, just three to go in the regular season. Home to Indiana tomorrow afternoon, 5 o'clock, then on the road at Maryland on Wednesday night, and then a week from tomorrow at Northwestern, then on to the Big Ten Tournament for the Golden Gophers. Hey, Andy, it's always good to visit with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again soon.
2: Yeah, sounds good to you. Take care.
3: All right, there he is, Handy greeter of the Pioneer Press, online at TwinCities.com. Uh, the Loons get a 1-1 draw with Philly on the road. Andy call it a quality point to start the season. They return home, get Nashville on the 5th at Allianz Field. And... Once again, we mentioned the Gophers in Indiana tomorrow at 5 at the Barn. Tickets are available. Quick break. PGA Tour made the move down to Florida. We'll get a leaderboard update on that. Girls State Hockey Tournament Championship Saturday. We'll check the scoreboard there as well. Here on News Talk, 830-WCCO. PGA Tour has made the move to Florida, sunny day down there. It looks lovely. They're playing golf. It'll be a while in these parts. It is the Honda Classic at Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Daniel Berger at 11 under par. Chris Kirk minus 8. Shane Lowry uh, in a group at 6 under par. Not a ton of big names. This is a tough golf course. Uh, The cut, I believe, was over par. Yeah, it, the 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 cut was three over, to give you an idea. That that's really a high number on the PGA Tour. So uh, right now, Daniel Berger at 11 under par, a three shot lead over Kirk. But uh, it doesn't take you long to get uh, sixth place, minus four, tie for seventh, three under par. And when the wind blows, it's even more difficult. This is a Nicholas design and they have a stretch of holes called the Bear Trap, ton of water, a lot of difficult shots. So th- this is one of the tougher stops on the PGA Tour this week. Meanwhile, St. Paul is busy, Axel Energy Center. It is championship Saturday, of the girls' state hockey tournament. And coming up, the 1A title game, it'll be Proctor, Hermantown, and War Road, and they'll drop the puck just after 4 o'clock. Then tonight in the nightcap the 2A title game, number one unbeaten Andover against Minnetonka. Uh, the Skippers are the number three See, These teams met twice during the regular season. Andover won them both by a goal uh, very early in the season. I was taking a look at it. Uh, Andover beat Minnetonka 1-0 on Saturday November 13th. And then over the holidays at Braemar, uh, Andover won at 4-3. And Andover beat Gentry Academy 5-1 in the semifinals, while Minnetonka beat defending champ Edina 2-1 in the semifinals last night. So 1A coming up, Warroad and Proctor, Hermantown later, Minnetonka and Andover. Andover looking for their second title in three years. Some other uh, scores real quick from St. Paul. And the uh, 1A third place game, Orono beats St. Paul 5-2. In uh the 1A consolation final at Tria Rink downtown, River Lakes Pete Mankato East, 2-0. In the AA third place, game, Edina shout out Gentry Academy 3-0. And in the double A consolation final at Tria Rink, Burnsville Nip Maple Grove 2-1. We've got to run. We have all the news. All the weather coming up at four o'clock. Steve Carney will take us outdoors. Here's on News Talk, 830 wcco